Hello, welcome to this latest episode of CIO Leadership Live. I'm David Binning, Associate Editor with CIO Australia. Joining me now is George Silviera, Chief Digital Health Officer with Melbourne-based global fertility company Virtus Health, and also a um, one of our, our proudest CIO 50 um, alumnus. George, welcome to CIO Leadership Live. Hello, David and everyone. So thanks very much for having me here today. It's a real privilege, man, as usual. Um, now, of course, in addition to the um, to the role that you've um, that you've been occupying at Virtus for quite a few few years now, I think was it four years now, possibly. No, we're going to my third year. Third actually. year. It feels like a, a way longer than that for sure. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised given some of the um, the conversations, what I've learned in conversations with you over um, over the recent years. Um, of course, you've also held um, a number of senior technology roles within the Victorian health sector. And, you know, the, these experiences, as I understand and as I've written about and, and uh, our CIO audience have read about, um, these experiences have helped to inform what you've referred to as your digital healthcare principles. Now, I thought we'd maybe start with you elaborating on, on what, they, what those are. Thanks very much, uh, David. It's a, I uh, get um, this question quite a lot. Um, everything I do is always based on principles, and some people um, love them, some some don't. <laughs> but I'll elaborate what those uh, those principles are. And there's two in particular that's very important when you're working through uh, digital strategies that can deliver meaningful transformation and long long term sustainable transformation. So one is obviously. Uh, why we do digital transformation and digital strategies is to be able to change the status quo, to be able to implement new behaviors that will improve what we're doing today. So we're always kind of bettering ourselves for tomorrow. So that first principle is around um, the exception. So it's uh, treating things by exception. And, and um, um, how does that translate into operations is, uh, I'll give an example, everyone go to, um, to work, to perform some sort of a service, and the, that service is tracked is as a new status, for example, in progress, or completed, or delayed, um, etc. So, if we track the items that are soon to be late or delayed or in progress, um, and uh, do not focus much on the things that are going well, we of course keep on helicopter view on those things. You know, and, and if you apply a traffic light um, sort of a principle to it, is we we look into things there are exceptional. A clear example of this is, especially in healthcare, is there's a lot of a checklists around. So there's a lot of checklists that uh, people go in, perform, let's say, ten checks against a particular service or activity that uh, they're performing, and if you have, uh, for example, ten different uh, patients or, or or personal records that you need to uh, conducted that checklist against, you're going to, it times it by 10 is 100 uh, inspections that you need to do, checks um, that you need to do. And I'm just going to give a very, very simple example in terms of timing. If uh, each one of those um, uh, consume about one minute to be completed, so you're talking about 100 minutes to complete them. By exception, the principle by exception um, is looking to the things that are uh, in red or they are already late or they're um, in a situation you need to have attention to them, or things they're approaching a certain threshold, instead of looking into the greens, the things they're going well. And you notice that once you apply that principle and you have designed your, your, your strategy around 
improving the, the workflows, you're going to probably look into 20 to 30% out of the 100. So if, if you're looking into 20, 30%, say worst case scenario, there's say 30% of 100 is 30 minutes. So it's 30 activities, 30 checks, 30 minutes. What do you do with the 70 minutes? I'm sure that healthcare professionals could use those 70 minutes to something else yeah. as the system is um, absolutely under pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, mate, I mean, so, sorry, go on. Yeah, no, that's fine. So that, that was uh, the basically um, working by exception and focusing on what's um, required and what matters at that point. So it doesn't mean that you're uh, not checking all the other things, but if they're going well, you have the helicopter view around while they're going well, and then you can um, tackle the most important things that are time critical. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, there's been a hell of a lot of lot written about and a lot of you know conversations about um, the deployment of, of advanced digital technologies in healthcare for quite some time, but obviously particularly since the the onset of of the pandemic. But more in, in the context of kind of frontline healthcare, I'm, I'm sure most of our readers would agree that our viewers would agree that there's not been as much discussion in the fertility space, which is, of course, an enormous growth area, incredibly important, and particularly for those couples that have, you know, that are, that are vested in it and have invested and paid for, um, you know, for these sort of treatments that Virtus is providing. Let's talk a little bit about how you and your team um, are using artificial intelligence and other digital technologies to help improve these these fertility outcomes, because you know, as as I've just explained, it's incredibly interesting, incredibly important, of course, for those couples that are invested in it. Yes, absolutely. So, fertility is a very sensitive topic, as you as you mentioned, um, David. It's uh, it touches everyone's um, you know uh, bodies, hearts, and minds. Just put that way. And uh, what we are doing at Virtus is uh, obviously um, a lot of people heard of. Uh, our precision fertility digital platform uh, for the group. And one of the key um, items within this platform feature is the ability to integrate with decision support systems or augment with services that would uh, improve data and um, decision-making throughout the process. Every person is different. Mm. Every egg provider or sperm provider and um, surrogate or pregnancy carry um, are different. So they have different biology and therefore the one treatment doesn't fit all. Mm. And once embryos are created, and I speak very openly this about because just like natural language now, um, is once the embryos are created, so they are also different from, from each other. So it may have you know anything between zero, put that way in unfortunate cases. Uh, to um, to many embryos being created to more than ten, and how do we um, select these embryos uh, that will provide the best chance of um, of being uh, uh, transferred back into the pregnancy carry? And how do we do the selection of, of these embryos? Obviously, there's a lot of expertise around the group, uh, the Virtus group uh, around the world, that highly capable of making these determinations. However, what uh, Virtus has done is also implemented a, uh, an artificial intelligence um, uh, process, uh, uh, part of the, the treatment and embryo selection that provides the clinicians with the ability to have a look and see what the scoring is uh, for that particular embryo. How is that done? 
So in simple terms, this, uh, this can, can take a couple hours to go through the detail of this, but in simple terms, the ember selection um, uh, tool, which is not used all the time, but everyone to decide which ember is gonna go, to be honest, it is a, definitely a clinical decision, but it's information and data that's provided as an augmentation, as a decision uh, support um, for the clinician. So that the way it's done is once um, the egg and the sperm is, uh, um, uh, goes into a dish. So obviously, uh, in an optimum and ideal scenario, they will turn into an embryo, mm -hmm. and that embryo goes into an equipment called the embryoscope. So the embryoscope has really good cameras um, set up to be pointing at the development of the embryo from, uh, from, from fertilization, insemination, until the time that is ideal to be transferred uh, to the pregnancy carrier. So what it does, it takes the numbers of uh, obviously uh, images of the development across those five days. They are absolutely critical for the embryo and that's monitored on a daily basis. So what, what it does, it identifies through a number of dozens and hundreds and thousands of images. What is the actual development of the embryo compared to other um, developments that we had in the past. And that provides a scoring for uh, which embryo should um, uh, have a highest likelihood of developing a heartbeat, which yeah. means life. So the doctor is presented with that, the fertility specialist, obviously, and that a human always has um, a say on these things, but it does provide um, a quite sort of a systematic way of performing this, this analysis, and, um, and the analysis provides a number, like a score out of 100, yeah. so which is presented to the fertility specialist. So it is a pretty good tech um, that's, put in place. That's super cool. So you've basically got an AI that's analyzing video to determine the likelihood of an embryo developing a heartbeat, and that is just amazing. Correct. Yeah. And it's when you when you really stop and think about this, mm. um, what is fascinating is uh, the size of an embryo. It's not very big. No. So it's tiny, like it's a little dot. Um, and for these cameras to be picking up to the great level of detail and analyzing every single construct of that life that has generated on that um, uh, upon fertilization, it is absolutely mind-blowing. And, um, and the progress on day-to-day, -day, day one to day five, uh, until the transfer to the pregnancy carrier, it is uh, something that provides the, uh, obviously the, the scientists in a group and the fertility specialists with an additional point of, of data to make an informed decision. And to what extent are you and your team, to what extent have you and your team been able to improve the actual fertility outcomes for Virtus's clients? Yes, so we, we constantly, improving fertility outcomes or any healthcare service outcome is an ongoing battle. So there's a, um, a few things that we put in place with precision fertility, uh, which is um, absolutely optimizing the information flows on, on a screen. What does that mean? So everyone is, um, you know, one way or another a service provider, um, that being, you know, the scientists or the fertility specialists or the administration staff or uh, the nursing team, the donor management, the counselors, et cetera, the billing team. So by 
uh, decomplicating or simplifying information flows and data visualization across the, um, the process, um, the service that we are delivering, we can minimize errors. Um, minimize errors or have more, more in a better understanding of the service we are providing. So in, in, the, in the precision fertility platform, we have what we call the cards, which are pretty much real-time um, analytics for a particular service and a, and a patient or a healthcare consumer or a client, it depends on what service they're consuming. And that is very personalized for that individual. So what um, these cards um, do, they're very flexible and very powerful. And then we have a number of them uh, in, in a precision fertility platform to bring to the clinician and uh, to different stakeholder groups, some analysis of how they are progressing towards uh, the end of the treatment. And if there are any, any um, uh, augmentation of data that we can provide, such as benchmarking, uh, or doing comparison with similar cohorts that can be done at that card level as well. So that will trigger more uh, questions from the healthcare professionals around assessing the current state of play with what has been done with similar cohorts, but also uh, augmented with additional artificial intelligence uh, use cases we're working on at the moment to provide that very unique, precision, precise, um, and personalized um, care. So bringing information is one thing, making it easy to see is one thing, augmenting with the right technologies and data from uh, internal and external sources, uh, it's uh, another thing. And the third is obviously freeing up people to focus on what matters, to focus on what outcomes, opposed to the administration of a treatment in an electronic medical record. Yeah. Now, I'm just going to wanted to get into asking you about the sort of biggest challenges that you've encountered along the way, because, of course, there's a few things that happened here. Well, two in particular, there's been a kind of root and branch um, transformation of the digital underpinnings of Virtus as a sort of broader kind of challenge. And then, of course, you know, the, the structure of this sort of core AI pillar. Um, and you mentioned people. I imagine you sort of touched, you started to touch on it there, I think. Um, I imagine that the, there have been enormous cultural challenges um, that you and your team have faced because we're dealing with, obviously we're dealing with a whole range of um, or different staff at Virtus, but as a lot of people who know anything about healthcare and digital deployment within healthcare, sometimes it's the smartest people, the doctors and the clinicians, um, that, are, that are kind of pose some of the biggest sort of cultural challenges, right, and bringing them along on this journey and of course you're smiling at that and i'm thinking perhaps um i might have i might be onto something here yes i think you are <laughs> uh, you absolutely are so um in any uh digital transformation that i've been involved obviously people are key and uh, and people will bring baggage and this is kind of normal so we just need to recognize that we're going to have a lot of challenges around that and Virtus has tested me in every possible level. Um, <laughs> and and you, say that, you say that keeping a smile on your face too. <laughs> yes. No, it tested, but the tests were good because I learned a lot in the process. But you got to have that open-minded to learn and um, to understand that you should never take sides on this approach. You need to be very pragmatic and uh, apply reason and, and good rationale to the decisions that are being made. 
And uh, an example of the challenges you find in organizations like Virtus, you know, covering multi-country and multi-legal jurisdictions mm. is that people are different, as I mentioned, and they speak different language and they communicate differently. So not talking about just English and, you know, say Spanish or any other language, um, but I'm talking about terminology. So it's, um, it really fascinated me how the terminology used across different countries and different stakeholder groups are so different and they mean the same thing. Mm. So the very first step was obviously to, to address the terminology um, um, challenge. So we standardized and created a harmonized terminology dictionary. So, and how we calling, you know, an egg pickup collection, for example, in scientific terms how we uh, mentioning what is uh, Amber transfer. So that has to be the same across our operations. That was the very first thing to do. And I had a lot of um, support from the clinical and non-clinical staff um, in this journey, so which was great. But creating a terminology dictionary was um, absolutely imperative to ensure that we were referring to the same things. So in, in other words, the quotes, are we speaking the same language here? And okay, now we can have a conversation. <laughs> yeah. We progress to that second step. Yeah. So yeah. otherwise, you never, it's disappointment for everybody. So, so we progress into the next step, which was great. And then we fall into practices. So people are different, and it's, it's an amazing thing to be different and be innovative and, and have developed their own ways of addressing problems and delivering services. It is absolutely fascinating. Um, but at the same time, when you try to harmonize and implement a global healthcare application that um, it, it has the aim of improving success, which means we need to understand the steps we're taking and where we can really improve uh, in these steps. It is a whole new game because if everybody practices different, which clinically it's okay, so mm -hmm. people will continue practicing clinically, uh, different clinically, uh, but on an administration side, for example, how you register an account, how to uh, provide consent and education services, etc. Those things, they, they can be harmonized quite simply um, in a simple form, simple way. Hmm. But a clinical pathway is a clinical pathway. And digital transformation will never uh, interfere in the clinical pathway. And if it does, without uh, the consent and the consultation of the healthcare professionals, we know what's going to happen with that program. We'll find so it needs to have the clinical uh, staff um, consulted and agree to this harmonization of clinical offerings. This is a little outside of my remit, to be honest, David, because mm -hmm. those there are committees in place, clinical committees in place, they are taking um, take this responsibility to make the right decisions for the whole of the group with a representation from um, multiple countries. But the harmonization of the process is something. So, uh, what I had to do is basically create what we call just a baseline. We baseline in the simple terms, what are the key steps to deliver a particular service? If that service is different, has different steps in different countries, in different legal jurisdictions, fine. So we'll configure that for each of the legal jurisdictions. But at the same time, we are baselining this service and the service outcomes for each of those regions and learning what works well and what may need some uh, review. Mm. So on that basis, so the data that we extract from, from these is um, 
then passed on to, to the appropriate leadership and clinical committees for discussion and determination if there is a, uh, an opportunity to harmonize a particular way of delivering service. So yeah. always structured. So it's, it's a very, very structured. Um, and I think the last one here is obviously if you want, if you want to be scale um, uh, with any digital transformation, especially in multinational organizations, you can't ignore legal jurisdictions and the compliance yes. part, yes. including reporting, statutory reporting, et cetera. So but you need to tackle that beforehand. And that's how we've done. Before you build something, architecture in a way that you can bring those things to surface and configure them as you do broader rollouts. It's not an easy task. So I think we have developed a, a, a world-first and a state-of-art um, architecture to support that. And it's pretty solid. So we are able to um, implement the, the solution, the Precision Fertility Digital Platform in multiple countries covering localization requirements, legal jurisdiction requirements as a configuration uh, setting opposed to something that's hard-coded into the application and becomes a scalable. The product becomes a scalable in yeah. multi-language, et cetera. So dealing with those problems up front and recognizing they can absolutely bankrupt your project uh, is a key thing that um, I recommend any um, senior technology leader to consider. Yeah. Okay. So, look, George. Before we wrap up, what what do you sort of see as the you know, the, the the future of, of digitally enabled or digitally driven fertility treatment over the next sort of three five years or so? Great question. I think uh, it's not only related to fertility only, but healthcare in general. So. Mm. Uh, we have seen advancements on, obviously, artificial intelligence technology uh, on a daily basis. So we we have seen the impact those things um, are starting to have on our day-to-day, uh, and we can see the potential. But I believe that the adoption and further development of artificial intelligence would definitely enhance the outcomes of what we do. Is just how we get there in a safe manner um, to do that. But what's the impact? So the impact of that is that a, a, a job description for uh, healthcare professionals will change. So they will change to adapt to the tools that we have in play mm. and to improve the, uh, the healthcare outcomes for the services we provide. And obviously also to improve um, efficiencies. So to spend the energy where we can evolve to the next level was just dealing with the very low level activities. You see examples of chat, GBT, and, and uh, we're doing some work around this, um, but it is a game changer, how you humanize artificial intelligence to the context to the point where uh, it, that's quite usable and quite um, simple to understand. Is that all, um, you know, uh, is it a trustworthy source and all that? This is not what we're discussing here but it's just how the technology can bring um, data and knowledge to a whole new context yes. that was not available before. Yes. And what does that do to us? You know, the humans that are still working in front of the computers and addressing um, daily, daily problems. This is just gonna build the platform for us to, to become better and better more to do in every day and focus mm. on the things that would definitely impact outcomes. Yeah, well, it's it's so interesting in the con- in this sort of broader context of this discussion about AI and 
and and how human can it get? And then of course it's I think it's fascinating that we've just had this conversation about the application of AI to a, 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 just an extremely human task, a selection of, of embryos for life. You don't get can't get a lot more human than that. And also, George, I just have to say, being a little bit cute, um, I can understand why you're um, uh, hoping for uh, far more digitally savvy senior clinical professions in years to come. I wonder whether that might be just a little bit of wishful thinking, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see where we're at. Um, George Silviera, Chief Digital Health Officer with Virtus Health. Thanks so much for joining us on CIO Leadership Live. Thank you very much, David, and um, CIO Australia.